Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Oh, second base, what are we going to do with you? Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on a Tuesday, October 13th. Frank Stanfield alongside Scott White. And I'll say we have an interesting show ahead of us. Interesting is the word that I'll use as we try and figure out what went wrong with Cattell Marte and Jose Altuve in 2020? Good luck to us. Scotty Dubs, how's it going, man? Another congrats. Every time we show up here, I'm congratulating you on the Atlanta Braves advancing further in the postseason. And hopefully that just keeps happening. What's going on, Scott? Your Braves are in the NLCS. Yeah, hopefully it keeps happening. I would still bet against it. <laughs> I, I would bet against them getting past this round. Of course, I would have bet against them getting past the Reds, too. So... What do I know? I am not a gambling expert, clearly. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm feeling good about this postseason run they're on. It's been a long time since they've had any smidgen of postseason success. I was in high school, Frank. I was in high school, 2001. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a different time. Scott, but... would you like to know where I was in 2001? Well, you were younger than high school. I can. You were. You were probably elementary school, right? I think I was in fifth grade, Scott. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, you don't. You don't even know what a successful post Braves postseason team is. You. 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 You don't know such a thing. I mean, I remember some of the '90s. Obviously, Yankees and and Braves World Series. I, I was young. Remember mm. parts of them, but obviously, wasn't old enough to really comprehend uh, and I haven't really gone back and watched if I'm just being completely honest and yes I'm still wearing the Yankee hat here and they have been eliminated Scott we haven't heard this in a while oh my good goodness gracious of all the dramatic things I've ever seen yep you tell them Susan uh wow I, were you watching the game Friday when uh, when Aroldis Chapman gave up the the go-ahead home run to Mike Brasso it was the ultimate <laughs> revenge factor and honestly Scott it, it was it, it was a fantastic series of baseball. It was high-level entertainment, and I don't know that you could say that about every series of baseball, but I'm not even salty. The Rays are a really good team. They have awesome pitching, and they came up in the clutch, so I don't really have any complaints when it comes to the Yankees losing to the Rays. Yeah, now the Rays are up 2-0 on the Astros. Which Let's go. I'm, I'm sure every non-Astros fan is excited about I, I got to admit, I, I kind of would like the Astros to keep going just for the the chaos factor, <laughs> but I think, I think most people are rooting against them. Before we start with the second base position, go back to Tampa Bay just for a second, Scott. Randy Arozarena is quite the talk right now in the fantasy industry, and they have these early mock drafts going on. Thanks again to Justin Mason. There are nine of these early mock drafts taking place right now. There are 15-team roto drafts, 
and the ADP is being collected by, I believe it's uh, Smata Plays Fantasy. I'll, I'll find his, his tag on Twitter. Um, but you could find the, the ADP at, at his Twitter page. And Randy Rosarena's ADP is 116, Scott. So people are getting excited about this postseason run. He's 15 for 35. He's batting 429 with four home runs just ahead of Jorge Soler and Byron Buxton in these mock drafts. I mean, how much should we take away from just a really hot postseason run? Uh, he is a legit prospect, so we should take that into account. And we talked him up a little bit throughout the course of the season, but some early thoughts on Randy Rosarena. So where did you say he was going on at first? 116, which is just ahead of Jorge Soler and Byron Buxton in terms of the outfield position. Yeah, so... So, I mean, first of all, the facts. Heading into game two of the ALCS, Eros Arena, between the regular season and the postseason, he had 11 home runs in 95 at-bats. Uh, and I, I think like three steals, too. So it's it's not like he was a zero there. He has a 95. His sprint speed is 95th percentile. It was this year, according to StatCast. Uh, so, obviously, if... If you buy into him being a power hitter, the fact that there's some speed there, I mean, that would create some enthusiasm in, in five by five, le- five leagues especially. I'm skeptical. Color me skeptical, Frank. This feels a little like Kyle Lewis last year, uh, Shane Spencer, you know, a couple decades ago. Shane Spencer. If you're, thinking, if you're just thinking the, the power breakthrough. I mean... You say he's a legit prospect. He was Baseball America had him tenth in the Cardinals situation in the Cardinals organization. This was before he got traded to the Rays, obviously. Tenth in the Cardinals organization coming into this year behind guys like Elahiris Montero, Lane Thomas, who was like a fourth outfielder type for the Cardinals. Uh, Andrew, Andrew, oh, I don't even know how to say his name. <laughs> that catcher, Knizner. <laughs> Um, if you can't say his name, who, probably guys who we're not really feeling are impact players. And he, baseball America ranked arrows arena behind all of them. 45 is what they gave him for power A 45 grade. That is below average. And here he is hitting 11 home runs and 95 at bats. The plate discipline, uh, hasn't been very good this year. He, he was a pretty low strikeout guy in the minors, but it hasn't been very good this year. The launch angle wouldn't lend itself to, big power and he hasn't doesn't have a particularly good fly ball rate um you know i'm i'm not i'm not the sort of person who likes to rule out anything for anybody really so if the price was right on arrow serena i would be happy to buy in kind of like luke voigt two years ago and he had that crazy power run after getting traded to the yankees and nobody really cared uh everybody was just sure it was a fluke uh, so if everybody was sure this was a fluke for Arrows Arena, I would flip right around and say, well, maybe it's not. Maybe we should invest in him late just to see what happens. Uh, but based on that ADP, I mean, that's not too much later than like Luis Robert was going this year. And that seems, that's that's too aggressive for me. What did you say that power grade was according to Baseball America, Scott? Four, 45. 45. Well, that was probably before they knew Arrows Arena uh, contracted covid and while he was quarantined for a month, he only ate rice and chicken and did 300 push-ups a day. So I'm not sure that Baseball America was accounting for this. It's a crazy story, and I've read about it. I've heard them talk about it on the broadcast. 
like 300 push-ups a day. Uh, Scott, how many push-ups do you think you could do? Uh, in, in, not, <laughs> in, in one go. In one go? Yeah. Like a day? Like if, if it was a day, I could probably do one on the hour. But um, <laughs> real, like good push-ups? Good like, push-ups. Like right now, know, if I was just like, Scott, get down and give me your max. Military-grade push-ups. You're back in a perfect angle. Um, I maybe twenty. All right, I mean that's not it's bad. It's been a long time since I've tried. I'm sure there was a point in my life when I could do twenty. That's not bad. But. I'm I'm probably around twenty too. I would. It used to be better, but I'm I'm out of shape at this point. Um, but all of this is to say how impressive three hundred push-ups is per day. <laughs> of course, it per, sounds unrealistic. And apparently, frankly, like, he put on like fifteen. Him. He put on like fifteen pounds of muscle throughout this. Yeah. Anyway. He, uh, Randy Rosarena is mashing throughout the postseason right now. Um, people are already getting excited in these early mock drafts. You've heard some crazy comparisons. The broadcast has talked about Kevin Cash calling him the Cuban Mookie Betts. Uh, people have compared him to Marcelo Zuna with speed. Kevin Kiermeyer, his teammate, went as far as to say, quote, he's the best player on the planet uh, regarding Randy Rosarena. So the hype is just is getting out of control, and I just wanted everybody to know that right now. He looks like a good player, but... You know, going right around 100. I don't know if I can get behind that. All right, Scott. Before we get into the second base position again, mm. I do just want to point out that we have kind of figured some things out regarding position eligibility for the 2021 season that I think some people should know. So if you'd like to explain what we are doing and how we are handling those positions, uh, position eligibility for 2021, please. Yeah. Tell us now. Yeah, I, I, I kind of I started pressing on the issue because I was, you know, beginning to make rankings. Nobody wanted to think about baseball, fantasy baseball this time of year. Uh, but a bunch of us got together in a Zoom call and we decided that instead of the usual 20 games to retain eligibility from one season to the next, because the season was so short and so few players would begin next year, multi-eligible with that rule, it would it will instead be 10 games. The player played 10 games at a position in 2020. They will carry over that eligibility into next year. That's for position players, obviously. For starting pitchers, it'll be three starts. They get starting pitcher eligibility, five relief appearances to have relief pitcher eligibility. So more or less cut in half from, from the usual standard. And, and you know, that that's not perfectly proportional, but uh, it's close enough. And I, I think it... I think it prevents us from going the other way and having, you know, out of control eligibility. And it, it, it does make, uh, it, it's kind of amazing. I was going through some of the positions, how many players got exactly 10 games at a certain position. There is a it, lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and of course that means now Cody Bellinger is going to be eligible at first base. It means Whit Merrifield's going to be eligible at second base. So we've, we've already kind of done a quick look at those positions um, DJ LeMahieu now eligible at, at first base. So, you know, you get a new second and third in my first base rankings. Freddie Freeman followed by Bellinger, followed by LeMahieu, and then comes Jose Abreu and Luke Voigt. Uh, Mike Moustakis is going to be eligible at first base now. Uh, at second base, uh, we're doing second base today, so I don't have to go over that, I guess. 
Yeah, um, no, but it's relevant that we bring it up now because we're going right. to talk about a few of these players. And you mentioned Whit Merrifield will have second base eligibility, as will Jeff McNeil. Max Muncie will still have second base eligibility as well. So uh, definitely relevant to bring that up. And I know some people have been asking. So again, 10 games played in 2020 will allow a player to have that position eligibility in 2021. Three starts for a starting pitcher and five relief appearance, uh, relief appearances for a relief pitcher. Scott, let's jump into these early second base ranks. And number one at the position, I think we had a little bit of a debate towards this at the not really debate, but discussion towards the end of the season about who would be uh, the first second baseman in your rankings. And so far, you have who at number one at second base? Yes, DJ LeMayhew. And I don't think there's really any room for debate here. He was, you know, as unexpected as his breakout was in 2019, he went far beyond that this year. Uh, he, he was just, it was just unbelievable. The power production was still there. He ended up with an OPS over a thousand after 893 last year. Uh, you know, he had 364 tops in the majors, which obviously wouldn't be sustainable over a full season. But the bottom line is he didn't even take half a step back. If anything, he looked a little better. And so that should really give us a lot of assurance that this is just who he is now. He's going to be a free agent this offseason. Of course, we'd like to see him go back to the Yankees. That park seems to suit him. And, and of course, batting at the top of that lineup would be Good thing for anybody, but I think there's such a big gap between LeMahieu and and number two here, especially given all the second basemen that underperform this year, that it's just like if there's anybody you're going to target for position scarcity reasons, I, I think DJ LeMahieu is the guy. Yeah, and the fact that he plays first and second base, you know, first, not a great position, second base as we're going to talk about this whole episode uh, is still not really a great position Overall, the last 162 games played for DJ LeMahieu, a 335 batting average, 35 home runs, 130 runs scored, 110 RBI, and six steals. <laughs> the guy is just insane. Ever since he's joined the Yankees, he will be 32 years old at the start of the 2021 season. Scott mentioned that he is a pending free agent, so hopefully he goes back to the Yankees. That's where he would have you know, I think probably the best value for him from a fantasy perspective. He's got that short porch in right field. He hits line drives that way. He can go to all fields. And, of course, just leading off for that lineup gives him so much run production as well. Scott, number two for you. Well, before we talk about it, who is your number two ranked second baseman? It's Ozzy Albies. And it really doesn't feel like that much of a stretch because he came back so strong from the... Uh, the wrist injury. Uh, you look at some of the underlying numbers, like you know, strikeout rate was high, the expected stats kind of low, but they got pulled down by that wrist injury too, and I just think he didn't have enough time to correct those. The base stats ended up looking pretty good because he was so hot when he came back, and of course he contributes. He contributes across the board, really, in a five by five context, batting average. Uh, not a huge home run hitter, but enough. And he steals some bases and just is, you know, he's useful across the board. Now, he finished it. This kind of shows you the gap between him and LeMahieu. Ozzy Albies had 3.14 fantasy points per game. And I know these are five by five rankings, but it's easier to compare with fantasy points per game. 3.14 for Albies. 
DJ LeMay, he was 3.97. Uh, huge difference. I think second at the position was actually Brandon Lau at 3.32. No, actually second at the position was Dylan Moore, who's not in my top 12. He was 3.43. But still, you know, everybody way behind DJ LeMahieu with 3.97. Yeah, I don't think you can make the case for drafting Ozzy Albies ahead of DJ LeMahieu in a points league the past three years. Head-to-head points per game for LeMahieu, four point, uh, rounding up 4.0, 3.7, and 3.0 for LeMahieu. The past three years for Ozzy Albies, 3.1, 3.4, and 3.0 as well. Um, so I don't think you can make the case for Albies to go ahead of LeMahieu in that format, but maybe in a roto context, Scott, you wouldn't even consider it because, uh, Ozzy Albies can at least give you those steals. His last 162 games played 15 steals compared to just six for LeMahieu. We know that's not a really big part of his game. And according to this early ADP across these nine drafts, Ozzy Albies 30.8 ADP, DJ LeMahieu 35.4. So Albies is actually the number one thir- uh, second baseman being drafted in these early mock drafts. And I want to do it. I want to do it. Last two years, Ozzy Albies, 271 batting average, 295 batting average. Last two years, DJ LeMay, who 364 batting average, 327. Um, you know, maybe he gets a dozen more steals than LeMay, but I will, I will look for that in other places. Yeah, I think I agree with you, too. Like, I love Ozzy, and everyone knew that coming into the season. I think you kind of throw 2020 out uh, because of, you know, he was dealing with the right wrist contusion. He only played in 29 games. Again, this is Ozzy Albies. Uh, but hit 271, six homers, 21 runs scored. You know, solid for Albies when he played this year. But I think you're probably looking at a 270 to 280 hitter for Albies, and I still feel pretty safe with saying LeMahieu is going to at least bat over 300. I mean, and that could push closer to like 330 as we've seen the past couple of seasons. So you sacrifice some steals, but you get a huge, huge difference in batting average. So I, I tend to agree. I would still lean LeMahieu over Ozzy Albies in these early rankings. Plus, plus it's gonna. there's a run in RBI difference too, uh, especially if he's back with the Yankees. Albies for most of this year batted in the lower, batted like fifth or sixth, you know which obviously isn't as good as batting leadoff for the Yankees. We'll see where DJ LeMahieu goes, but I suspect he'll be at bat in the upper third of the lineup regardless. Scott, your number three second baseman for 2021 after DJ LeMahieu and Ozzie Albies is... I had to add him in there because it's Whit Merrifield, who if we went by the 20-game the standard would not be eligible at second base. Those of you who play in commissioner leagues on CBS, you'll have to... You'll have to sounds like you'll have to manually adjust your eligibility rules if you want to go with the standard what we're treating as the standard 10 games for this year. Uh, but that would make Whit Merrifield second base eligible. And it turns out reports of his demise were greatly exaggerated. He rebounded in basically every way. He rebounded as a power hitter. He Most importantly, he rebounded as a base stealer, was 12 for 15 after going 20 for 30 in a full 162 games last year got back to running a lot and got back to being more successful with, and it looks like that part of his game isn't going away. Uh, was still among the league leaders in line drive rate, even though first first time in three years he hit under 300. But it was, it was overall, it was better production with the power up, the speed up, and yeah, still looks like he has a lot left in the tank. So still a high-end performer at a thin position. 
For those of you that have listened to Fantasy Baseball today, all of 2020, first of all, thank you. Uh, but as long as I've been here, the one thing that I will always do, and I strive to do, is you know hold myself accountable. If I, if I, if I get something wrong, I will call myself out for it and, and try and figure out how to be better as a result. You know, what did I learn from this situation? And I was wrong about Whit Merrifield. Um, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, were skeptical about him. He had slowed down in the second half of the 2019, uh, 2019 season. He was getting up there in age. Uh, he's honestly put all that to rest for me. He will be 32 years old at the start of the 2021 season, but I have no issues with him. 282 batting average, nine home runs, 38 runs scored, 30 RBI, 12 steals in 60 games in this shortened season. And he has missed just four games over the last three seasons. This guy is an Ironman. He is going to play and he plays for a team that is going to run between him and Adalberto Montesi, the Royals. I worried a little bit about Mike Matheny. Was he going to let these guys run as much as uh, Ned Yost had let the Royals run in the past? And no issues there either. So he's going to continue to run. The StatCast numbers say that his sprint speed still remained consistent where it has been the past couple of seasons. Line drive rate consistently high, 25.7% since the start of the 20, uh, 28.6%, excuse me, since the start of the 2018 season. That is second among all qualified hitters behind only Freddie Freeman. So I think there's still a lot to like about Whit Merrifield. His early ADP, 43.4. Scott, I might make the case, and as much as I like Albies, that if I can get Whit Merrifield 15 picks later, I kind of like that value more. Yes, I would agree. I would expect Merrifield to deliver the higher steals total next year. I might give him a slight, slight edge in batting average, too. That That's, that's basically a toss-up. Uh, I would give Ozzy Albies a slight edge with the power, and obviously he has the better supporting cast. But I mean, uh, honestly, Merrifield's production feels a little more bankable. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, and, and he's delivering more of the scarcer category, the stolen bases. And and for what it's worth, head-to-head points per game: three point two nine for Merrifield, three point one for for Albies. If, if Albies was healthy all season, it probably would have been closer. But uh, Merrifield was better than him in that format too. Yeah, and I'm not just burying Albies. Like, I still like him. It's just this this early price tag. If it remains in this third-round range, Albies is a safe player. But, again, I can get wit 15, 20 picks later. I, I might actually be more interested in doing that. So, something to pay attention to in this early offseason. All right, Scott, how much time do you have? Because uh, number four and five in your rankings here, this can take a little bit of time trying to figure out what went wrong with these gentlemen in... 2020 and they are they are Cattell Marte and Jose Altuve both in the top five which tells you a little bit about how the rest of second base shapes up Uh, but the more I looked at these two the harder it was to figure out exactly what went wrong for them I mean Cattell Marte, his average exit velocity, his av- average la- launch angle were both just very slightly off from 2019. They were uh, much better than the rest of his career. Like the, the 2020 version of Cattell Marte looked much closer to the 2019 version than any previous version that we'd seen. And then as for Altuve, I, I mean, he, he wasn't great in terms of 
exit velocity or launch angle in the first place. So his weren't that different either. He struck out more, but he didn't strike out a ton. And um, I, I don't know. It, it just, it, there weren't dramatic enough changes to either player's batted pro- ball profile to support the idea of like a collapse here, a bottoming out uh, like we saw. And I know, I know Cattell Marte didn't get as much attention as the Ozzy Albies one, but he had his own wrist issue over the course of the season. I remember before the start of the season, I think, I don't think I'm thinking way back to spring training. I think I'm thinking of summer camp. He was hitting home runs then. He finished with two, right? Cattell Marte did. Yep. Um, so I, I remember being encouraged by how he was performing in the preseason, thinking, all right, this guy's going to be fine. He had his own wrist issue, and maybe that explains his situation. You know, without Tuve, you saw it throughout the Astros lineup. You wondered if they were just putting too much pressure on themselves to, uh, to 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 back up their claims that you know they're they're it didn't really help them that much. The the sign stealing scandal. You know, there's a lot of talk about how uh, they felt like they were being treated unfairly. Which you know, whether or not you think it's right for them to say that, that's that seems to be how they felt and you could understand how that would put pressure on you to, like in baseball's a weird sport where the harder you try, the worse you seem to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so we, we seemed to, we, we saw that throughout the Astros lineup. George Springer ended up salvaging his statistics, but Altuve Bregman, you know, the lot of, a lot of the high profile hitters, Correa, uh, they, they really underachieved during the season. And then, you know, a lot of those guys, Correa especially, have come bouncing back here in the postseason. So, the first and potentially only good thing that I'll say about Cattell Marte is that when we're recording this, October 12th, it's his birthday. So, happy birthday, Cattell Marte. <laughs> he turns 27 years old. And, and now for the bad, Scott. I, I don't want to completely bury the guy because he still makes a lot of contact. He struck out just 10.8% of the time. Again, this yeah. is Cattell Marte. Yeah, more than ever this year, yeah. But it seems like one of these things is not like the other, and it's that 2019 season. And there was a juice ball in 2019. You look at his OPS over the past five seasons, starting in 2016 for Cattell Marte, 610, 740, 768, 981, 732. His home run to fly ball ratio went from 19% in 2019 to 3.8%. Now, is that all juice ball related? Is that does it have to do with his wrist injury that you know he couldn't lift the ball with power potentially? But I don't know that I'm going to be that I'm going to want to pay the price in 2021 to find out. Uh, and as of now, that price is a seventh round pick for Cattell Marte, which is not egregious. But his early mm-hmm. ADP in these mock drafts is 78.2 across these nine drafts. But it, it just seems like 2019 was the clear outlier. So I'm a little bit more skeptical of Cattell Marte. And then Jose Altuve. Well, well it, it, go ahead. You can speak on Cattell Marte if you want to just... I don't, I don't know that I'd pay a seventh round price tag for Cattell Marte either. Okay. Uh, part of the reason I rank him fourth is because I have to rank somebody fourth. And <laughs> while there may appear to be more obvious candidates... There's really not. It's a right, bad there's position. Specifically. There's two specifically that might seem more obvious. Kevin Biggio and Brandon Lau. But they have some pretty big 
red flags that I'm not I'm not terribly motivated to rank them this high either. Uh, and we'll we'll get to that soon, I'm sure. But uh, I, I, I don't know that I want to, you know, I have to rank somebody fourth. I would probably want a bigger discount for Cattell Marte too. But I think there comes a point where the upside there is worth pursuing over, um, you know, over a lot of other options you could get at second base. And remember, he had a pretty, like his final four months of 2019 as well uh, were pretty impressive. Uh, no, 2018 is what I meant to say. Yeah, it was heading into the the 2019. Yeah, he started to break out in the second half of the 2018 season, heading into the the, 2019 season. The the final four months of 2018, so the final two-thirds of the season, he had uh, 13 home runs, which, you know, obviously wasn't the pace he performed at in 2019, but, you know, it it suggests that he might be not far off from, like, an Ozzy Albies, you know, even if even if we're throwing 2019 out. And and by the way, I feel like, you know, the two-month sample from 2020 versus the six-month sample of 2019, I mean, what should count for more? Uh, I, yeah, I, I think... I understand the reason for... I, I understand why there's a lot of skepticism for Cattell Marte now. I think it's fair. But I think it's too soon to conclude that 2019 was a fluke. I think there's... Evidence that suggests um, there were other issues he had in 2020, and um, and yeah, I, I I don't I don't think it's as clear as he was this guy for this one year, and then the year after he was the same as he was the year before. For for what I pointed out, I mean, average exit velocity, average launch angle were both closer to 2019. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a fluke, and and that's probably not fair, but. It might turn out to be a career year. We just don't know yet. Obviously, yeah. he's still in his prime at 27 years old, but I would probably bank on him not approaching a near 1,000 OPS again. You know, Maybe he can get that back over 800, maybe even approach 900, but um, that's just something we'll have to see in 2021. And Jose Altuve, I mean, I had him as a bus entering the season. I saw some things with the plate discipline that I didn't like the, um, in 2019, the strikeout starting to climb a little bit, the walk rate coming down. So plate discipline starting to slip. Uh, he had dealt with some knee injuries the past couple of seasons, some hamstring injuries. He wasn't really running anymore. So I was worried about those things with Altuve. And then we, ca- we had this cheating scandal that happened in the offseason. And, and I heard the broadcast talking about this. And, you know, we can't really quantify something like this, but... Apparently, like, they talk about him being a sensitive guy and, you know, that all this criticism could have gotten to him throughout the course of the season. And it just seems like he wasn't the player that he has that he had been basically his whole career in 2020 because he hit 219, uh, he had a career-high 18% strikeout rate. He was chasing more pitches than ever before. A 250 BABIP batting average on balls in play. Uh, he, has, he was a career 334, and this season he was 250. So... It's just really hard to figure out what to make of Altuve. I will point this out, Scott. He hit 135 against breaking pitches in 2020, which, okay, that might have been something that was affected by some trash can usage, some cheating scandal. Uh, but what do you make? What do you make of Jose Altuve? Like, who is he at this point in his career? What do you make of 2020, if, if anything? Because he's performing well in the postseason now. He's like 9 for 31 with three home runs. Yeah, I'll I'll just 
sum up what I said because that like I, I don't know. I don't know who he is anymore. But I know who he has been for a very long time, like a lock at the top of the second base rankings. And I know that the underlying data doesn't support the big drop-off that we saw this year. So, you know, if, if, if he had just done this over a full six months, it'd be a different story. But over two months, particularly after a tumultuous offseason, yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to... Uh, if the price is right, I will lean glass half full there. And I don't know what is his ADP in those early mock drafts. What if I told you it was 113 compared to 78 for Cattell Marte? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I mean, that sounds like a good, a good gamble to make there in the midpoint of the draft. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, that's, that's quite the discount. Might be something that we can get in on heading into next season. We're going to take a quick break. I just want to remind everyone that we have a new soccer podcast want to welcome a new show to the cbs sports podcast family k golazo q u e g o l a z o is a daily soccer podcast that aims to bring you the best analysis and commentary from the world's game they'll have gambling previews and immediate match recaps and react to all the latest news from the champions league to the premier league to americans in europe and everything in between it's truly a must listen if you are a soccer fan this Wednesday, which is October 14th, the team will be releasing their first full episode to recap the international break, but you can go subscribe now to K Golasso on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. When we come back, we will take a look at the rest of Scott's top 12 second base ranks for the 2021 fantasy baseball season. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. All right, Scott, we're 35 minutes in, and we've got to five second basemen. That's obviously my fault. So uh, give, me the next, give me the next two here. Who do you have at six and seven at the second base position? Number six is Kevin Biggio. Number seven is Keston Hira. Kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. One of them performed. One didn't. One, I really worry about a lack of upside for and one I think has a ton of upside. So yeah, Biggio is kind of, you know, if Cattell Marte and Jose Altuve, I looked at the underlying numbers expecting to be underwhelmed and wasn't Kevin Biggio was the other way around. I looked at, I looked at the supporting numbers there and was like, wow, how did this guy stack hates this guy, did? Scott stack hates Kevin Biggio hates him. 215 XBA. Ugh. 
347X slug. Mm-mm. That is pitiful. Pitiful, pitiful, pitiful. Now, he walks a lot, and he he cut down on his strikeouts quite a bit. Yeah, like, he made so, improvements. Yeah. that I mean, I was kind of surprised how bad the stat cast data was. And if, you know, if this was two years ago before I really looked at that kind of stuff, maybe I'd... Uh, Maybe I'd be hyping Kevin Biggio to the hills, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe I still I still should be. I don't know. But those are so bad, it gives me pause. And um, he, he just seems like a guy who sells out very hard for home runs and doesn't make particularly hard contact. And so you really can't expect much of the way of batting average. And, you know, for getting off to a hot start with the home runs, he ended up hitting just eight in 60 games. So that translates to what, a little more than 20 over a full season. He did have six steals also, which, you know, what translates to like 15 over a full season. So it's not, it's, it's not like it, it wasn't great home run and steals production. It was pretty good. It was certainly starter worthy in a five by five league. And the fact that he walks a lot, I mean, that that helps mask some of his shortcomings. But I think there's a clear limit to the ceiling here, and I think he's basically maxed out that ceiling. Like, I, I don't think there's another step forward for Biggio to take without really overhauling his profile. And I, I think it's very likely he takes a step back. And again, Scott had Kevin Biggio at number six, and he had Keston Hiura at number seven, Kesson Hira, who will be just 24 years old when the 2021 season starts, hit 212 with 13 home runs, 30 runs scored, 32 RBI, and three steals in 2020. Uh, his first 143 games for Kesson Hira, 32 home runs, 12 steals. So, uh, look, the power speed combination is enticing, but Scott, this strikeout rate for Kesson Hira is very, very worrisome. Nearly 35% strikeout rate was fifth highest among qualified hitters, and his 20.3% swinging strike rate was second among qualified hitters behind only Luis Robert. So that kind of yeah, plate that. discipline, it, it does worry me about Kesson Hira. So there were two... My two biggest thoughts on Hira coming into this season is, okay, looking at his minor league track record, his strikeout rate is likely to improve, and even if it doesn't, he impacted the ball so hard as a rookie that it, it probably won't matter. Well, the strikeouts actually got worse and he didn't impact the ball nearly as hard. It was a two month sample. He does have a very good prospect pedigree. Like, you know, one of, one of the best hitting prospects in baseball before he got called up. So certainly not going to write him off over an ugly two month sample, but it was ugly. And, um, it's uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm not going to enter next year with a lot of confidence in Hira. I, I think it's worth devoting your second base spot to his upside. I, you know, I have him what I'm seventh. So, you know, clearly it, it's very likely I'm the one who ends up doing it if I have him as my seventh ranked second baseman, but it, it won't be with a lot of confidence. That's basically it. Yeah, the quality of contact came down tremendously for Kesson Hira, too. So not only was he striking out more, but when he was making contact, the average exit velocity went from 91 miles per hour in 2019 to 87. So that that is a huge drop in quality of contact for Hira. 
His early ADP is right around 70, so that's the sixth round of a 12-team league. Kevin no. Biggio is no. right No, that, that sounds like about where he was going this year. What the heck? Where What, what was it this? <laughs> let me look at it. I, no, I think first. this year was a little, first. yeah, it was like fourth, fifth round entering 2020. So I guess people are just not putting much stock into it and they still see upside based on that prospect pedigree. Uh, and then Kevin Biggio is 67.3. So in the sixth round, Scott, it seems like as of now, Jose Altuve is looking like probably the biggest value. Yeah, it seems like I'm the weirdo ranking <laughs> weirdo ranking Marte and Altuve ahead of Biggio and Hero, which means I'm probably going to have a lot of Marte and especially Altuve. Of course, this is nine drafts we're talking about here. Yeah, after most of these people, I I doubt they've gone that in depth because you know most of these people double dip with football and their their most of their attention is probably on football right now. Um, but I, I suspect when they take a closer look at that, that, that might play out a little differently. Scott, you have Max Muncy at number eight in your second base ranks. We spoke about him a little bit on our first base preview, so you could go back and listen to that. Uh, but who do you have just behind Max Muncy, let's say at number nine and 10 in your second base ranks? Nine is Mike Moustakis, and 10 is Jeff McNeil. Uh, for what it's worth... McNeil and Muncy both would not be second base eligible if we hadn't lowered it to 10 games. So they, it helps having them at this position. Um, McNeil's a really weird case because there was some skepticism about his power breakthrough in 2019 coming into this year. He ended up with only hitting, he ended up only hitting four home runs. He hit them on in four consecutive games <laughs> <laughs> in in uh, early September, and no home runs in any of the other games. So that was weird. He still looks like a really good contact hitter, and yeah, I I, I don't know. I don't know where he stands as a power hitter now. Like, it's not like last year was the first demonstration of power ever. From Jeff McNeil, he had a pretty good power breakthrough two years ago in the minors before his call-up. So I I think there's a good chance he can be a 20-homer guy still over a full season, but there, there, there's obviously more doubt about that now than there was coming into 2020. And uh, as, you know, if, if, he, if he ends up being kind of a more expensive version of David Fletcher, that's going to be disappointing, obviously. Yeah, for, uh, for Jeff McNeil. As, oh, continue, Scott. As for Moustakas, who I actually rank ahead of McNeil, it might be flipped in a points league. I haven't decided for sure yet. But Moustakas seems like he was Moustakas. He, we just got the worst outcome of Moustakis instead of the best outcome for Moustakis. But he looked like he was the same player. Maybe over six months, those numbers would have normalized a little. He's a guy who doesn't have a particularly wide range of outcomes, but when he ends up hitting more like 230 than 260, that's that's how it goes. And that's how it went in 2020. But I think Moustakis is fine, just not terribly exciting, but fine. Yeah, and I would say just the biggest difference between Moustakas' 2019 and his 2020 was his strikeout rate. So career-high 22% strikeout rate, 
this past season in only two months while he was also dealing with a quad injury. So he was on and off the IL throughout the course of this abbreviated season. But the previous two years, that strikeout rate was at 16.8% in 2019 and 16% in 2018. So that's, you know, if he's not striking out that extra 6%, then we're probably seeing him closer to that 250 batting average where he is routinely at. And still really good ballpark to hit in in Cincinnati for Mike Moustakis. Early ADP 142, the 12th round. I mean, he's not terribly exciting, but that seems like a decent fallback option just early on here yeah. looking at this for uh, Mike Moustakis. The one thing that I noticed about him looking at his stack ass numbers, Scott, he saw an 11% increase in breaking pitches from pitchers this year, and he hit just 100 against them. So it could be something where pitchers kind of figured something out, a hole in his swing, and they started throwing more breaking pitches, and he obviously didn't do well against them. So uh, just something to pay attention to. It caught my attention. Uh, that is for Mike Moustakis. And then Jeff McNeil, he basically just had a bad first month each of the, uh, the past two seasons, Scott, where it's like last year, I believe it was April, where he just he had like a sub-700 OPS, and then it was really good the rest of the way. And this year, just so happens that it's a two-month season, so if you're not good for the first month, it's probably going to affect your overall numbers. But uh, the last 162 games for McNeil, 310 batting average, 26 home runs, 91 runs, 87 RBI, 5 steals. It's a pretty good player. Pretty good player, Jeff McNeil. Uh, and he is, he'll be t- 29 years old at the start of the 2021 season. So I don't think either one of these guys are, are exciting, but they're fine. I, I feel like McNeil has the higher ceiling. If he, if he gives you, if, if he is a true power hitter, I mean, like a 20-homer guy, 20-25-homer guy. Yeah, I mean, if he hits 20-25 uh, yeah. with close to 300 batting average, yeah, I mean, that's, right. that's pretty valuable. Right, he's competing for a batting title. If he, if he gets that many free hits, hits on balls out of play, you know, to boost his batting average. Moustakis, you know, we know what Moustakis is. And like I said, it was, it was the worst version of Moustakis in 2020, but it was still very Moustakis-like. All right, Scott, so let's round out these top 12. To this point, your top 10 second baseman, DJ LeMahieu, Ozzie Albies, Whip Merrifield, Cattell Marte, Jose Altuve, Kevin Biggio, Keston Hira, Max Muncie, Mike Moustakis, and Jeff McNeil. 11 and 12 in your rank, Scott. And I don't know, based on this early ADP, you might have to defend this number 11 second baseman, Scott. Who is it? It is Brandon Lau. Doesn't surprise me. I feel like for pitchers especially, but for some degree hitters too, volume doesn't get the attention it should from a lot of fantasy analysts. Fact of the matter is, Brandon Lau was a platoon player for most of September, sitting against almost every left-hander the Rays faced. And he didn't deserve to based on the splits. It's kind of like Max Muncie when he was first breaking through. So weird, yeah. He had an 1137 OPS against lefties, Scott. It's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure why the Rays decided to do that. It was a very uneven two months for Brandon Lau, where he was dreadful for the middle portion of the season. Uh, he kind of like Biggio, I greatly improved the strikeout rate. So I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Uh, the expected stats... Uh, I think they back up. I, I got to pull up. 
I got to pull up the profile here, but I think they more or less back up how he produced, right? Yeah, StatCast likes him. 17% yeah. barrel rate was in the 98th percentile, 552 expected slug, 93rd percentile. So StatCast I, I, I likes mean, the quality of contact for Brandon Lau. He ended up with 14 home runs in a very short season, and he had three stolen bases as well, which is, isn't is bad, you know? It might be a double-digit steals guy over a full season, but... If he ends up cons- if he ends up sitting consistently against left-handers, which is how things finished out, and of course the Rays love their platoons, I, I feel like it's a 60-40 split in terms of a player's fantasy value. 60% is how good he actually is, and 40% is how much he plays, and really pulls down Lau if, if you can't count on him getting consistent playing time. Maybe I overdid it here in these rankings, and he'll kind of creep his way back up, but I, I, I don't think I want him unless he's discounted. So that's kind of what I was trying to uh, demonstrate here. And discounted, he will not be, uh, at least according to these early mock drafts. Got Brandon Lau with an ADP of, are you ready for this? 59.8, which is a borderline fifth, sixth round pick going ahead of Glaber Torres who does not have second base eligibility anymore, but going ahead of Kevin Biggio, Kesson Hiera, Ketel Marte, Max Muncy, Jose Altuve, all names that Scott has ahead of Brandon Lau. And this early ADP Lau is going ahead of them. And I think that there are some things to like, but I, I, I do appreciate what you brought up regarding the playing time. And we should have mentioned it for Randy Rosarena at the top too. Like, we don't know if Randy Rosarena is going to play every day. If he's as good as they're talking him up to be, you know, the next Mookie Betts, best player in the world, then yeah, they probably will play him every day. But I think it's something that's, it always kind of creeps into the back of your mind for Tampa Bay Rays players. It seemed like when Austin Meadows was healthy this year, he was an everyday player for them. So maybe they will um, kind of push Brandon Lau into that same stratosphere of player on their team. Uh, but I, I like the improvements, obviously lowering the strikeout rate. Last 162 games for Lau, 262 batting average, 34 home runs, 101 RBI, 8 steals from a second baseman. So there's a lot to be excited about, and StatCast likes him, but that price tag is is pretty massive, Scott. Yeah, I was just reading what I wrote for him in the my my column showing my top 20 at second base, and I, I said I might rank him as high as third at second base probably should say fourth now that Whit Merrifield is eligible there but that's that's how high I'd rank Lau if not for the playing time concerns uh yeah I'll need some I'll need some assurances <laughs> from the Rays I think Scott number 12 old reliable worth rounding out your top 12 second baseman here Robinson Cano who I would rank higher than 12th if he wasn't going to be 38 next year he had a pretty incredible season uh, after I think most people were off of him coming into the year, decided he was already too old. He had a um, down numbers in 2019, obviously, but the, the underlying numbers and like how hard he impacted the ball, the strikeout rate, they all still look good. They all suggested that, you know, maybe the decline, we were making too much of it for Robinson Cano. And then he bounced back this year with an 896 OPS, batted 316, missed some time with an injury, still hit 10 home runs in 49 games. 
But part of the issue here with Cano is he was so hot early on that by the time everybody got him, got on board, got him in their lineups, he kind of let them all down. He had a 721 OPS in September. And finishing with an 896 OPS, that shows you how hot he was there at the start of the season. So, you know, only two months to work with. Who knows what to make of it? I, I think he's pretty good still, but um, that's that's asking the month of August 2020 to do with the heavy lifting there. And he's going to be 38 next year. So I certainly wouldn't want to pay a premium for Cano. I'd be fine settling on him if just the value never lined up for me to take one of these other second basemen, most of which have some pretty big concerns in their own right. A few names that just missed the cut, uh, Tommy Listella, Jake Cronenworth, who are just outside your top 12. They got moved down because of some of these new additions because of the position eligibility. You can read about those on the site. Scott wrote it about his top 20 second baseman so far. And I will mention that Nick Madrigal also just missed that cut too, but he had shoulder surgery and mm-hmm. will need five to six months of recovery, which brings us right around March, April. Still somewhat excited about him, obviously, for speed and batting average, but uh, just keep yeah. that in mind when it comes to Nick Madrigal. It's you know pretty severe injury, and we've seen that affect um, hitters' production, specifically when it comes to shoulders, that, that first season back, Scott. And a couple other slot ahead of him because they now have second-base eligibility and it didn't look like they would at first. So I go, so basically 13 through 16, I go Jake Cronin, I go Tommy Listella, Jake Cronenworth, then Chris Taylor, David Fletcher, and then Nick Madrigal. So, I mean, yeah, it's Madrigal and Fletcher are pretty close. I think they're pretty similar. The, the, the big question is, Madrigal, will he end up running a lot or will he end up running a little? He didn't run that much the little bit we saw of him. And of course, now it's pretty easy to slot him behind Fletcher with that shoulder issue. Taylor's going to be interesting because Enrique Hernandez is a free agent. Taylor has just one year left. He was playing a lot to close out this season and and did pretty well. So I think he might be somebody I'm pretty invested in, Chris Taylor, next year. We'll see how the offseason goes for the Dodgers, of course, but Looks like he's lined up for a big role for them next year and will be dual eligible, second base, and shortstop. Might even have uh, outfield. Not sure about that. I'll have to check that. For Scott White, I am Frank Stanfield. We'll be back again on Thursday with our third base preview. I may or may not have already selected a special guest, so you'll just have to wait and see. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching FBT. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.